we are really different. If the customer will trust us to do it the way we say it ought to be done, I'll guarantee the budget and the schedule. And if I miss my mark, I'll, I'll, I'll eat the difference. Yeah, there's really nobody else in the IT industry that will do that. Welcome to the Authentically Successful Show. I'm Carol Schultz, founder and CEO of Vertical Elevation, a talent equity and leadership coaching and advisory firm. We partner with founders and CEOs to create talent-centric organizations, either where they don't currently exist or rebuild companies into talent-centric organizations. We are committed to supporting your vision and values by creating healthy, successful companies, leveraging the best talent, retention, development, and succession strategies. Listen at the end of the show for information about becoming my next guest on one of the most important podcasts for building thriving companies. Here we go. Joining me today is Kevin Price, founder and CEO of AccuCode, based right here in Denver. Founded in Kevin's basement in 1995, AccuCode is a value-added reseller and technology integrator that has grown to 100 employees with revenues of $100 million. Additionally, AccuCode has been on Inc. Magazine's Inc. 5000 annual list of fastest growing companies 11 times. That's pretty impressive, Kevin. Welcome. Thank you, Carol. If you can walk me through, what's the biggest problem that AccuCode solves for your clients? Um, I, I've said it for a long time. Uh, the core of what we do is creating accurate visibility of every process that has anything to do with operations. If I, if I don't know what's really going on, I can't really drive consistent outcomes. So in lay terms, paint me a picture of what that looks like. Um, we, we, we provide networks. We provide mobile computing, uh, barcode scanning, RFID, sensor networks, mm-hmm. robotics, artificial intelligence. The idea is to apply technology to the process so that I have accurate real-time visibility of everything I need to know in order to drive a consistent, scalable, repeatable, you know, set of outcomes. So what's the, how does that, how does that live or affect your customers? What does that look like for them and in, in value to their business and how things work better? Uh, our biggest customers are uh, in retail. Uh, we also have a lot of customers in manufacturing and uh, transportation. Over the years, we've done a number of, of software products as well, where mm-hmm. we had specific customer engagement in specific markets like the, the airline industry. We, I sold mm-hmm. a business three years ago that we did global postal logistics for air cargo carriers. Mm-hmm. And we automated all the business processes between air cargo airlines and the global postal community. And that started out as a single custom project for one airline. And we ended up with over 60 airlines on that platform. Oh, that's impressive. And that included mobile computing and barcode scanning and software and sometimes network connectivity and and all of those components. And we provided it and serviced it and managed and supported it every day. So prior to founding the company, you know, now going on, you know, going on 30, you know, 30 years ago, 27 years ago, uh, you were in sales for some hardware companies. Yeah. I I mean, how did this, how did this, what's the genesis of this company? (laughs) I, uh, I started, I I, I literally, uh, resigned my job at three o'clock on Friday afternoon. And I started this Monday morning and, uh, the genesis was that, I, you know, it was the very early days of barcode and automated data mm-hmm. collection. 
barcode scanners cost $2,000 a piece and were incredibly difficult and unreliable. Um, Mm -hmm. Mobile devices were, you know, four or $5,000 a piece and they were running DOS. Um, And, uh, you know, it, I saw, I saw what was coming and the, primary channel players and integrators that were in that sector at the time, including my employer, um, they just weren't competent either technologically or operationally. And um, I, I, I literally thought to myself, man, if this is the competition, I, I like my odds. And so <laughs> I, I, I quit my job on Friday and started this on Monday. I had my first order by 10 o'clock that morning from one of my legacy customers. And uh, you know, it, it took it took most of a year and a half, two years to really get out of the basement. Yeah. Um, and uh, the you know the first employee actually worked in the basement of my house. And um, but I, I've I've been very fortunate. I've hired a lot of good people along the way that uh, introduced us to a lot of different customers. Y two K was very good for us back in the day. We did a lot of work for storage tech and Coors back then, and. Uh, yeah, it's been a lot of fun. So you started by going back into your prior customers, yeah? Yeah. And how did you approach them? Um, straight out. I, I, you know, in my letter of resignation to my, that, that last employer, um, I told them, uh, you know, I had an employment contract with mm-hmm. a non-compete. That's what I was uh, wondering about that, yeah. I, I, uh, I, in my letter of resignation, I said, I'm quitting. Uh, I'm starting a competitive business. I'm going to call on everybody I ever called on when I worked here. Here's why your employment contract is invalid. And here are my counterclaims and how much money you owe me right now. And you've got 30 days to pay me. And if you don't, then I'll see you in court. And here's my lawyer's phone number. Don't call me, call him. <laughs> and uh, pointed out all the holes in their employment contract. And two weeks later, they sent out, uh, sent me my last check and uh, sent out a new employment contract to make all their other employees sign, sign a new one that didn't have the same holes. But I, I, I got out clean and mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I left with no restrictions on who I called on. So I called up my customers and I said, hey. I started my own business. I sell all the same stuff and more, and I want to I want to earn your 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 business and, and do more for you. That takes some hooks, my man. <laughs> I was twenty six, and my, and and my 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 uh, daughter. I I was I started in July, and she was born in late August. So uh-huh. she she actually was in the she was actually with me on some of my very first sales calls because I didn't have couldn't afford a babysitter. So yeah, I just took right. Well. You know, good, good for you. Um, and, 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 and good to have, I have to imagine the support of your wife in this endeavor, which, you know, subsequently has worked out pretty good for you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm twice divorced at this point. So, well, um, at that so point, much. yeah, at yeah. that point, yeah, I did. Yeah. 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 So you've, you're completely bootstrapped, Kevin. Is that, is that correct? I still own the whole thing. Um, I've had a couple of different exits and I don't have any long-term debt. Um, I've borrowed a lot of money and paid it all back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I've had hundreds of conversations with private equity investors over the years. And so far I've yet to find the right one, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm always willing to entertain the conversation. Yeah. So I, I want to dig into, um, because I think this is really, really common among entrepreneurs, especially those that bootstrap, right? The debt. So how and 
In what areas did you incur the debt? Um, and why did you choose that route rather than potentially going for institutional capital? Um, I, you know, at the time, back when I did my first one, I did a $100,000 SBA loan mm-hmm. in probably, uh, probably 97. Okay. And uh, it was a small local bank. I had been basically fostering the relationship for a while. Yeah. Uh, my house was on the line uh, with that loan. I and um, it made me nervous. Just, you know, mm-hmm. it was by far the most money I'd ever borrowed at that time. Yeah. And um, I ended up paying that loan back in just over a year because I didn't like having it hanging over me. And I didn't like the, the, the effort that it took to stay in reporting compliance. And in retrospect, I should have, I should have kept it. It was a three year yeah. loan and I should have held on to that money for another two years. And I probably could have grown faster, but right. live and learn. Um, well, right. And, and I think that's the important lesson, right? Is, is, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh, I don't want all that debt hanging over my head, but to have three years to pay something off. Right. Um, and be able to reinvest that money back into the company rather than paying it off. I mean, as a, as an entrepreneur and a business owner myself, I have those conversations, right? Right. Well, should I pay this off now or should I wait? And often, you know, especially if you have, if you have, if you have money at really low rates, I don't know what your rates were back then, but you know, money's been practically free lately. (laughs) Yeah. Back then it wasn't, but uh, it, 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 it was, it was, it was still, you know, I had a phenomenal growth period between 97 and 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, I used that capital to go hire, uh, you know, a, another salesperson and, uh, to get more resources in and that, you know, that paid off really well. We ended up picking up storage tech and Coors as customers because of, of that investment. That, I mean, storage tech, that's an, that's impressive. I mean, so not, not that cores isn't, but you know, to be able to pick up a tech firm like storage tech, right? Yeah, we, we, back then we were doing all their barcode labeling system for all their tape drives. Yeah. Well, and of course ha- having them, um, having them be a company here locally doesn't hurt either. <laughs> no, it was, it was great. <laughs> at least at that time, right? When, when they well, were still storing. They, they moved, moved manufacturing to, to uh, Puerto Rico and we ended up doing business with them down there too. Interesting. Um, tell me about how, how you've grown. You said, you know, your first, your first, um, employee was working in the basement. Tell me about the growth from, from then to, you know, being in office space and up to 120 people and, and, you know, where you found your biggest challenges in recruiting retention and what you've learned as a, as a really first time owner. It, it's, it, it's been a challenge, you know, it, it, people are always the, the, the best and the hardest part of it. Of course. And, um, I've, like I said before, I've been very fortunate in, in being able to, uh, acquire and retain some just amazing people. Um, my CFO started with me in 1999. He, he came to me from Robert half, half account temps, uh, mm-hmm. as, as a temp hire <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, really grew into this role. Uh, he, he actually caught his former boss stealing money from me and that was how he got the promotion. Um, but you know, it, it, it for me, AccuCode and, and the core of the team that's here today, they're family. And, um, many of them have been here for a long, long time. 
And uh, some of them are are related to each other. I've, I employ brothers and and brother in laws, mm-hmm. and I've I've you know, as I say, if, if you're if you're that good and that smart, I'll, I'm willing to try some more out of that gene pool. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, and th- they know that I care about them as individuals and as people. It's not just about work, and they feel the same way about me. And often, even years after they've worked here, we you know we're still in touch and we're still friends. And um, you know, I've I've helped more than one employee start their own business while they were working for me. And you know, if if that's who they are, you know, part of my part of the joy of getting to do this is helping people become the best version of themselves that they can be mm-hmm. and helping them see past the, the things that are scary and hard, um, mentoring them in, you know, what it's going to take to go, to go build your own. Um, and you know, it's to me, that's the best part of getting to do this. And, and the second best part is, is the difference that we make for our customers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've we've got many very long-standing customers where it's been decades that we have been an integral part of their operation, like Kroger, where mm-hmm. I, I I picked up one project in 1999 with Kroger. We built their first e-commerce uh, deliver, home delivery system. Uh, it was called Home Shop. Went live in 2002, and we started started our development effort on it in late 1999. Mm-hmm. And the the lead software architect that 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 built that system for me is still working here. And his younger brother is my, has been my COO for the last 15 years. Um, you know, that, that was the first major project that we had done for Kroger. And at the time I won it, we were not qualified and I had to go hire everybody to do, to deliver that project. And, and I, you know, I was lucky and, and good and, and it paid off and, Today, you know, Kroger's been our largest customer since 1999. Yeah, and every year I think they can't possibly buy more stuff from us, and every year they, they buy do. more stuff from us. Yeah. And uh, you know, they they've become very dominant over that same time period in the U.S. as a grocery mm-hmm. retailer. Right, and you know, we take great pride in the fact that we are a daily part of their success. That's that's really great, and and I I want to I want to look at your your comment that you know we I closed this huge deal and I realized oh no I don't have all the employees I need to fulfill that right oh I I knew I knew when I closed it I had none of the well people I know to go and, do it. and I think that's but 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 the point is is that it's this is again very very common among growing companies right it well is. do we hire the people before we need them or do we wait till we need them. You know, for 30 years, I've looked at companies often hiring before they should, and then people end up getting laid off. Yep. You know, the, the other side of that is, you know, oh, shit, what if I can't get the people, right? What You know, waiting till you, till you have the need, which... I actually had already started the project. I was running the functional requirements myself. Yep. And, uh, it was the, the, actually it was the project manager from a competitor that was being replaced that introduced me to the guy that became the lead architect. And, and he brought two other great engineers with him that all of them ended up staying here for, you know, 20 years plus. And, uh, you know, we built multiple products together and did Mm -hmm. lots of things. Mm -hmm. And that's the trick. You know, I, that, when that project was over, I could have laid all those people off and I ultimately in the short term would have made more money that way. But Mm -hmm. I saw how talented they were and I knew I could go apply them to some new markets and new applications. And 
I did. And, and we had that opportunity and, and, you know, I was able to keep him. I, that motivated me to go find more of that kind of work. Mm-hmm. What does your organization uh, look like, Kevin, kind of structurally, right? So we've got, you know, X percent in sales, X percent, you know, that are, you know, in, you know, engineering type roles, et cetera. We are uh, a much, very engineering oriented organization. Uh, I'm I'm a little embarrassed to say that, uh, you know, we did that hundred million dollars with basically two salespeople. Um, Wow. I've had as many as 10 or 12 salespeople at a time. Uh, early in COVID, uh, mm-hmm. did some headcount reduction and I got rid of everybody that was underperforming or, or not performing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, I just accepted that I wasn't going to try and replace them for now. Mm-hmm. And it's now, you know, two, two and a half years we've been running with basically two salespeople and here in just the last 90 days, we, we promoted another person from our marketing team into a, basically a okay. sales role. Mm-hmm. Um, but sales, uh, from a, an HR and a management standpoint, salespeople have been the bane of my existence since I started this. Um, they're by far the hardest to, to find the good ones and to mm-hmm. retain them, mm-hmm. um, which is ironic considering my degree is in marketing and advertising and I come from a sales yeah. background myself. But you, you weren't in sales that long. You know, I, I wasn't, and I've always been a techie. I, I, right. I had a Commodore 64 when I was nine years old and taught myself basic. <laughs> and, you know, I, I've been studying electrical engineering and physics and chemistry since I was a little kid on my own. Mm-hmm. And, um, that's, that's really, I see myself as an engineer and a scientist mostly. And mm-hmm. I, 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 I apply that in the real world all the time and mm-hmm. people pay me a lot of money for things I'm technically not qualified to do. you know what it's better than a sharp stick in the eye yeah um so why do you why do you feel that for you personally that sales has been both the hardest to recruit and retain and and i think that's not uncommon among many technology companies but certainly i'm interested in your you know personal experience with this the one when you're different in your marketplace uh it, it it becomes a challenge you're, you're always, you know, you're, you've got this, this conundrum of you're looking for people that, that add to you when, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to salespeople. So you end up recruiting from what I call, you know, the industry retread pool where there are mm-hmm. a bunch of guys who have all worked for a bunch of people in your industry. Yeah. They are very personable. They're very, uh, you know, charismatic, but mm-hmm. they're not necessarily the hardest working people. And in many cases, they may have worked for much larger organizations where they never really had to do any prospecting. All they had to do was show up and Mm -hmm. people bought stuff. And that's an order taker, not a salesperson. Like IBM. Right. (laughs) That's Uh, kind of how I look at IBM. And and I I deal with a lot of big technology manufacturing companies and and a lot of those salespeople come from that ecosystem. Yeah, right. And they're just used to a different scale and a different area, you know, scope of responsibilities. Mm-hmm. At AccuCode, you know, the salesperson is playing a really broad role and he really is managing the customer relationship. And, and he's got, in many cases, he's the prospector. He's the one that's got to go out and knock on the doors and find the new opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of our new opportunities come from referrals from okay. customers and from trading partners. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, right now I, you know, one of two people gets each one of those and, and 
I, they're both rock stars, obviously. Um, you know, with that kind of revenue, uh, mm-hmm. they're you know they're both making. They, they must be, and yeah, both, and they are. And and are and are you are you paying them commensurate with that? Oh gosh, yes. Okay. Uh, my my top sales guy is a former. You know, he he came to us from from Kroger. He actually took early retirement package from Kroger. Oh, and this is this is the only sales job he's ever had. Um, and you know, he, he does over 50% of the company's revenue mm-hmm. as a salesperson. And, yeah. um, you know, it, it's just been phenomenal. And I, you know, that's, he, he's that kind of person. And it's about integrity. It's about mm-hmm. emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. you know, part of, part of the hardest part of what we've done historically in our market is that we are really different. Um, mm-hmm. If the customer will trust us and to to do it the way we say it ought to be done, I'll mm-hmm. guarantee the budget and the schedule. And if I miss my mark, I'll I'll, I'll eat the difference. Right. And that's so. Yeah, there's really nobody else in the IT industry that will do that. And and most customers mm-hmm. are jaded because yeah. they've in, been engaged with more than one IT vendor that made a lot of promises yep. and yep. took a lot of yep. money and never delivered mm-hmm. anything that worked. Right. And so when you show up and say, no, I, 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 you really can't trust me and I'm willing to put it in a contract and commit to it. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, you know, when I won that first Kroger home shop project, I, uh, I committed, I, I basically told Kroger, you know, I, uh, I'll bet you your down payment on this $5 million project that I'll, I'll deliver more than the last guy did. I'll do it in eight months to his year. And, and if I miss my mark, I'll give you your money back and apologize for wasting your time. And mm-hmm. um, it would have, it would have put me out of business at the time if I'd have mm-hmm. failed, mm-hmm. but it, it was, it was a worth because I knew I wasn't qualified on paper. It took the risk out of it for the customer. That's right. And, and it was, you know, it was a worthwhile risk and, and it turned out mm-hmm. great, but yeah, you know, still scary. Well, right. And, 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 and I've, I've, I've done the same thing over the years, right? Listen, I'll, I'll make it so that this is, you know, you can't lose here. Right. You know, Mr. Prospect. If, yeah. You're either going to get your problem solved or, or, or I'm, you know, oh, that's right. or, or it's not going to cost you anything. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, and, and it, mm-hmm. but that also creates a challenge in that a lot of customers just don't believe that. They're not going to listen to you. They're not going to do it the way you tell them that ought to be done. They already have a plan for how they think it ought to be done. And, uh, you know, we say all the time, part of our job is protecting our customers from doing stupid things that hurt themselves. And, Mm. you know, often they mistake buying things with solving problems. And buying a bunch of hardware doesn't ever solve the problem. Right. You can spend millions of dollars on that hardware, but if it doesn't get deployed and integrated and applied properly, that's right. Then you're not going to really get the outcome you're looking for, yeah. and and that's where the challenge comes in, and that's core to what we do. Is you know, I, I as I say, we are the thoughtful organizer who has a plan for how you're mm-hmm. going to acquire, deploy, right. service, support, and keep that working every day so that it actually solves the problem. This is not all. This is also not uncommon. Your point that you know this is not the, you know about the about you know they think they 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 have a vision of how they think it should be and they're and they're wrong. Right. <laughs> right. Well, if they were qualified to do it themselves, they wouldn't need to hire somebody. Else. Well, right. I you know said that in in you know in my business you know when when we it's talk like about going what to the doctor I, and saying I know exactly what's wrong with me. Here's what I want you to do. 
Right. Well, yeah. Don't you think you might want to let the doctor look at it first? <laughs> well, that's exactly right. And, you know, I've always said, listen, I'm the doctor. You're the patient. I know my business. Stop trying to do my business that I've been doing right. for 30 years. You don't well, know. It. It's, you it's don't always, have a. You always got the IT department on the customer side. That's the other right. side of the equation. And, you know, often there are egos that get in the mm-hmm. way because, right. it, hey, this is my my plan, my idea. Mm-hmm. And, and I, you know, we want to accommodate as much as we can, of course. but at the point where we recognize, Hey, this isn't going to work. We mm-hmm. have to, you know, it's a question of integrity. Am I going to sit there and let you fail and just mm-hmm. take your money anyway? Right. Or am I going to say, hang, hang mm-hmm. on, uh, yep. I don't want to do it this yep. way. <laughs> right. Right. I've done the same thing and walked away from business because of it. Um, yeah. it's just, you know, I, I, I if I take your money, I'm going to fail. Because I, right. because you're not in the right place for this. Well, and I, we've won a lot of business over the years where mm-hmm. we didn't win it initially. Yeah. Somebody else did. And then they came back they, to you. Because they were the lower bidder. And right. as I said to the customer, part of the reason why they're the low bidder is because they're not really qualified to solve this problem. Because mm-hmm. if they were, they would understand that what they've quoted is not viable. Right. And, you know, and, and then when it turns out they failed, the customer mm-hmm. comes back in a panic. Because right. now I'm behind schedule and be uh, under, uh, over budget because I already spent money and I didn't get it done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and now I need you to come in. I need you to hurry and I need you to kill it. <laughs> and so it becomes you know even more of a challenge. But yeah, um, but we like those situations because it's an opportunity to build trust. Exactly. So y- you uh, on your website say uh, we don't have competitors, only potential partners that don't understand how to work with us yet. It's very true. Say a little bit more about that, Kevin. Um, for my whole 26 year career in this industry, I've been saying to a whole host of peer competitors, we don't, there's so much opportunity in business out there. We don't really compete. You may perceive that we are competing, but we're not. Um, the scope of my services and capabilities is much broader than most of my peer competitors. Most of them are hardware resale organizations. And as I say, their value add is about 10%. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's a, you know, they're primarily sales organizations. Now mm-hmm. the good thing for them is they've, they've solved the part of the problem that I've always struggled with, which is running large sales organizations successfully, but they've, they failed in building scalable, repeatable, sustainable operational execution. Mm-hmm. And they're not nearly as integrated and integral to their customers as I am. Mm-hmm. I'm a daily part of my customer's operations. Mm-hmm. I am supporting, you know, like Kroger, we're supporting every operational site they have every day for hundreds of thousands of devices. And, you know, bad things happen when I don't show up and do my job. And they they need me to show up and do my job. I'm the, according to my biggest vendors in the industry, I'm, I'm the only guy in our industry that actually does it that way. Mm-hmm. And everybody else is just project-based. They're going, right. you know, they're only as good as their last performance. Mm-hmm. I, Deploying the system is the start of the cost of ownership, and it's you know becomes critically important once it's deployed mm-hmm. to keep it working every day. Because once I start relying on it, my business stops when it stops working. Right. Yeah. What would you say are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing, um, you know, in your company and in the industry? Um, 
supply chain issues right now. I, I think everybody's struggling with supply chain and delivery. Mm-hmm. That's part of why we went backwards a little bit last year mm-hmm. on revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had we had business, just couldn't deliver it because you couldn't yeah. get the product. Um, and of course, the labor market. Now, I'm I don't have some of the same labor market issues as as the rest because I've developed software that allows me to take the expertise of one person and apply it to as many people as I need to. Um, right. And you know, we were when COVID first started, we were able to scale up our logistics operation in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. With just a few weeks notice, we went from running five hours a day or five days a week, eight hours a day to running six days a week, 24 hours a day. And, and we did it with, you know, 30 days notice. Wow. And, and we were able to use our software to go scale that. And we're taking mm-hmm. temp workers from an employment agency in Louisville, Kentucky. And within a few hours of coming to work for us, they're doing high volume technical tasks because we've got a piece of software that walks them through every step of every process mm-hmm. and, and validates everything they're doing. And mm-hmm. we have pictures and, and quality data about everything that was done and how it was done. Mm-hmm. And um, that's, you know, it's part of being that thoughtful organizer is having tools like that already in place that allow you to scale up and scale down when you need to mm-hmm. and to do it cost effectively. If I have to go hire an army of network engineers or qualified you know, people to do that work, you can't get them. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, so have a plan for how you're going to take the expertise of the one guy that you do have and apply it across, you know, hundreds. Right. Is there anything about the industry that you're in that bugs you? <laughs> a lot of things. Um, <laughs> w- well, back to the challenge. So one of the things that's going on right now is this channel, uh, what historically has been referred to as the AIDC market that stands for automated information data collection. Right. Um, and the, there's, you know, there's been, we'll call it 10,000 plus small VARs across the U.S. over the last 25 years. Mm-hmm. Um, of those, less than 200 represented over 80% of the industry's volume. Well, in the last, we'll call it five years, there's been several attempts at, at rolling that channel up by private equity investors. Right. There's at least four competing roll-ups going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, most of my legacy peers, competitors, have ceased to be independent businesses in the last couple of years. And uh, I find myself competing with larger, consolidated you know, organizations that are primarily sales and marketing organizations, not technology value add organizations. And, you know, we're, we're very engineering heavy. um, Whereas they're very sales heavy. And I've talked to all the guys doing the roll-ups and so far, none of them have actually had any vision for how they were going to move the needle or improve the market. And the reason they're all doing this is because the same channel is the precursor to, you know, the, the channel that's going to bring IOT and robotics and distributed AI right. and all of these new technologies are the next generation of distributed device populations. And that's what this sector has always done, mm-hmm. except those, those populations are now going to be five or 10 times as large as what they've ever been before. And this channel still doesn't have any real plan besides me for how they're going to go scale that. They, they struggle with scale today already. And, and now if it's going to increase by five or 10 X, how are you going to do that? 
because historically they've not been particularly profitable. Mm-hmm. And, and, and now that they've rolled them up, they haven't really done anything to improve that efficiency. Mm-hmm. So it just gets harder and harder on scale to make that work. Right. Um, so that's one thing going on in the industry. Mm-hmm. The hardware manufacturers themselves, the OEMs, um, you know, one of the challenges that's been consistent over the whole 25 years is that because the hiring pool for the salespeople almost always starts with the OEMs, former mm-hmm. salespeople, mm-hmm. there's a lot of nepotism. So, you know, Interesting. because this guy used to work for this manufacturer, he's now got a, a, a preferred position in this major opportunity where he's got a wholesale price that nobody else is going to get because he's buddies with the guys that are in charge of that at the manufacturer level. And that's that's been an issue since the industry started. It's an issue in a lot of the IT industry. It doesn't have anything to do with merit or what's best for the customer. It's all about, you know, good old boy network. And unfortunately, this is a, a very, you know, 50 plus year old white guy industry where mm-hmm. it's it, it carries all the same things you would expect to come with that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's really my biggest complaint about this market. There are all still a lot of very good people. And I have a lot of competitors that I, I consider friends and I respect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've offered, all, I've said the same thing to all of them. If you want to know my business plan, just ask. I'll, I'll, I'll share it with you. Hell, I'll send you a copy. Because mm-hmm. if knowing my plan is all it takes to beat me, it was a crappy plan. And, and, and frankly, if you do something better than I do, I would like for you to be doing it for me too. And right. if, I do, if I do something you don't, well, mm-hmm. you should let me help you with that. Right, right, right. And but unfortunately, not one competitor in all these years has ever really taken me up on that, though. Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, I, I think that what ends up often happening is, you know, I've got a book coming out uh, next month. And when I was originally talking about it, uh, a friend of mine said, you know, you have to just tell everybody everything. Yeah. Because they can't do it anyway. And if they can, then, you know, what's so special about you? Right. If, exactly. If knowing what my plan was is all it took to beat me, well, it was a terrible plan. Mm-hmm. Right. And, I, you know, I obviously wasn't the most qualified guy to execute it. And, right. You know, that no amount of planning is going to overcome that. So, that's right. you know, let, let yeah. the chips fall where they may. And I would I rather that. find that out early than later. Mm-hmm. Kevin, who's your ideal client and what makes them ideal for you? Um. It's, it, it's, it's thoughtful organizations, it's manufacturers, it's retailers, it's logistics providers, uh, where they want, they want a technology to be a real strategic asset. They're looking for ways to drive, to, to, to build consistent process and documentation Mm -hmm. so that they get better outcomes Mm -hmm. and, and, and they already have a culture that is accepting of the idea of, you know, highly, highly documented, highly scripted, highly visible processes. You know, as we say, what kind of manager doesn't want better visibility of his, the area, his areas of operation? And the right. shorter answer is bad ones. You know, there's a <laughs> lot right. of managers out there that don't want undeniable real-time information so that their boss can see how incompetent they are. Right. Right. Um, Or how lazy they are or what the real issues are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've seen a lot of, of books and papers on the the idea that, you know, the difference between success and failure is how self-delusional senior management is about the state of affairs. 
And if I don't know what's going on and somebody's painting the beautiful picture for me, then I can really get in trouble very quickly. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like driving, driving down the road without being able to see out the front windshield. You you think you know where you're going, but you don't. And you may end up someplace you wish you weren't. And, you know, even when you're a mess, it's more important that you know you're a mess than it is to fix it. If you think you're killing it and you're a mess, well, that's not going to turn out very well. Right. So my ideal customer is, is, is direct, is engaging, uh, you know, wants partners that they can trust and engage with over the long term. And that through that, that they know that they're going to go get a real strategic advantage through the application of technology. Mm-hmm. And we're now at a time when, you know, technology is critical for almost everybody. Now the mid-market and even the SMB customers are having to figure out how to go apply automation to their business because mm-hmm. they have labor market issues and supply chain issues. That's right. And I, you know, it's one of the reasons I'm in the 3D printing sector now. I, I bought a business uh, a little over three years ago now where we are reselling 3D printers and scanners and all of that. We also run a service bureau where we'll design and manufacture the parts for the customer. And, um, and, and I'm actively engaged in, in the, the plan for how you're going to go scale distributed manufacturing mm-hmm. using the next digital iteration of the technology. And, and how are you going to do that reliably? And, you know, it, it takes years. You have to go make investments into those kind of businesses so that you, you're qualified because you have to fail before you succeed mm-hmm. when you're talking about new technologies and applying them to new markets and applications. Mm-hmm. You talked earlier about um, getting rid of a lot of your salespeople who are underperforming when, you know, COVID hit two years ago. What was it about those people, you know, looking back that had you say, yeah, yeah, I probably shouldn't have hired this person in the first place or, you know, gosh, I, I, you know, this was a mistake I made. You know, I wasn't looking at this. Like, If I had all the money back that I've spent on sales payroll, uh, the ineffective sales payroll over the last 25 years, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm already pretty successful, but I, you know, it's millions of dollars that mm-hmm, I've right. spent on, you no. know, there's no single thing that I've spent more money on and gotten less back from than, you know, lazy, dishonest, inept salespeople. And I've employed, you know, it's, it's probably less than 20% of those that have worked for me over the whole 25 years that really produced all the sales and everybody else was just, uh, you know, rotation. So that's the the 80, 20 rule, right? Um, but I, but, but I believe firmly that, you know, that one can do better than that. So looking at, you know, can you pinpoint, you know, if you were hiring the people, the buck stops with you, right? So were you missing something in the interviews? Did you not do the right due diligence on their backgrounds? Were you not asking the right questions? I I, I think it's, well, one, I think the problem here starts with me. Right. Um, That's why I say you're the common denominator, right? I I am the common denominator. And Mm -hmm. it's, I've spent a lot of time over the years thinking about this. One, I'm a cheapskate. Um, I have been reluctant to hire the, what I considered overpriced sales management. Um, Mm. A lot of my peer competitors are spending, you know, three to $500,000 a year for some sales VP that Mm -hmm. in my book adds no value and, pulls, makes, puts my integrity in question. Um, 
those people have, a, you know, they have a role in the industry and there's a reason why other organizations are paying that kind of money. And, and those guys have a knack for identifying versions of themselves that are going to fit in and go sell and succeed. And mm-hmm. I've, my unwillingness to just accept that truth and, and run with it is a big part of the reason why I've always struggled to do that. That's really, that's really a great, uh, a great epiphany huh, for yourself. It, it also, on the flip side, I've also, you know, part of like waiting two years to even try and go out and hire some more salespeople. Um, you know, to some degree, I, I learned that lesson and now my solution to it is uh, I'm just going to wait. I'll wait till the absolute, until somebody shows up at my doorstep that is a no brainer hire for that role. And then mm-hmm. I'll go do it. But otherwise, unless I have, you know, unless I feel really inspired that this is the right person, I'm not, even, I'm not trying. I don't have any ads posted. I'm not out interviewing. I'm, I'm waiting for them to show up on my door. <laughs> You know, I, I refer to that, even though you're not posting, is the post and pray method. Why do you think somebody's going to show up at your door and say, oh, you have to hire me? Because like, they have. Okay. Both of the two salespeople that I've got right now that are my rock star performers, that's how they came to AccuCode. Uh, <laughs> you know, one of them was a, a, a customer at, at a, a, you know, was employed at a customer and taking early retirement. And right. We, the guy we, from Kroger, I, right? Yeah. Yep, yep, I met yep. him, I met him at a baseball game and we started talking about that. And, and I, and I talked him into coming and trying a, a sales role for me. Um, the other guy is a former army ranger, special forces, you know, kill people mm-hmm. kind of guy that mm-hmm. was working high end corporate security uh, at the time. And he came in and applied for a position as my assistant. He came in and applied for a you know fifty thousand dollar year secretary job, right? And um, and I I interviewed him. I looked at him. I said, "What what are you doing? Why are you why are you applying for a job like this that you're obviously one not really qualified for, and two also overqualified for in many ways?" Yeah. And he said, "I want a career change, and I'm willing to start at the bottom. And I you know I'm I'm well, a good for him, and I'll yeah. study anything." And I said, "Well, I won't hire you as my assistant, but I will hire you." And he spent his first year as basically a gopher, just mm-hmm. doing whatever I wanted him to do and, and studying sales and learning about what we did and, you know, becoming an integral part of the organization. And then when he came and said, I, I, I want to try sales, I said, OK, here, you, let's go. And he actually left a couple of years ago and took a job at, at Amazon for AWS and services. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, and about a year later, came back. And said, "Yeah, I don't want to do that again." Well, Amazon's yeah. a you know a it's cultural it's a shit show. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a big organization and very different culturally. He yeah. likes being part of a team where he can see the right. impact that he makes. Right, right. Yeah, and, and that's not Amazon. And that's you know, just, and that's you know. you know. So yeah, they have shown you know the best salespeople I've ever employed came to me. I didn't go to them. They showed up and said, "Hey, I, I want to talk to you." Okay. And, you know, that's part of being a good salesperson. Mm-hmm. I, I've said for a long time, if, you know, if I have to hire, and it doesn't really matter what role, if I have to hire you through a recruiter, it's a strike against you. The fact that you okay. weren't out looking on your own, that you didn't find me on your own, that mm-hmm. basically you had to have an intermediary. And especially if that's true, and then you show up here and you don't know anything about me or the mm-hmm. company or what we do, mm-hmm. uh, you're not really the person I'm looking for. I'm mm-hmm. looking for somebody that's 
motivated, that's thinking, that's engaged mm-hmm. on their own behalf, not just somebody that threw their resume out into the world and said, here, find me a job. Well, that's, that's not really how recruiting works. I would challenge you on that, but we oh, don't I have know. enough time I, I to have know. that I'm, conversation here. I'm, I'm, so. I'm grossly oversimplifying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I would say most of the people in the recruiting industry that probably, um, you know, given my 30 years experience, that would be the case. Um, but the best people, which are about 2%, I believe in the industry, never operate that way. They bring huge value to their clients and to their candidates, huge yeah. value. But, you know, how do you and find I, those? I'm, I'm, I'm going to start, I will start adding new salespeople here mm-hmm. probably towards the end of this year. Yep. yep. Um, you know, I'm expecting a, a pretty significant recession um, economically. You and me both. You I know, hate to say it. But yeah. It, we're already in double digit inflation this year yeah. and, and it's, it's going to keep going up mm-hmm. and um, it's going to affect a lot of markets and a lot of industries. And historically, I have always done, you know, my best growth periods of the last 25 years are during recessions. Um, as I say, people are not, when they're growing and profitable, they're not very motivated to get more efficient or improve or innovate. But when the world's on fire and they got to figure out how to do everything differently, they get very motivated. And, um, you know, technology is one of the only ways that you can address those kind of issues. And so we have a historic, you know, historically we get a lot busier when times get rough. Mm -hmm. If I reached out to people that work for you and asked them to describe you as a leader, what would they say? Um, we've had a lot of those questions over the years. Uh, they, 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 they almost all to a person describe AccuCode as a family. And, um, I, I, I say it, I've set, put it in writing in many company documents. Mm-hmm. As long as you work here, you are family mm-hmm. and we will do our absolute best to support you and take care of you. And as long as you're still showing up and trying and doing your best, we're, you got us behind you. Mm-hmm. Now at the point where you, you know, prove that you don't have the rest of our best interest at heart, then I will do what I need to, to take care of everybody. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, like I said, even even after people work here, they often remain part of the family. And, mm-hmm. you know, we see them and hear from them all the time. And we, you know, we wish them nothing but the best. And, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter what the circumstances were in which they left. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I, I still like them as people. And mm-hmm. I want them to be happy and successful. And, um, you know, I, to me, the, the, the best part of getting to do this is those relationships. Right. And um, I think part of that, I, I, I had a pretty screwed up family life as a kid. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, partly my way of taking control of that and, and creating the environment that, you know, we kind of all mm-hmm. wish we had. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's different. It's I've had a number of employees that have left and come back sometimes mm-hmm. years later. And, you know, Partly they had to go out in the, the, the real employment world and see what it's like other places. And, mm-hmm. you know, when, when you're working for an employer that doesn't really care about you as a person and only is interested in what you can do for them, mm-hmm. you know it. And well, it's, it's, not as, it, it, it's not as motivating mm-hmm. and you don't feel the same way about what you get up and do right. every day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, life is short. That's right. People, people will get another picture of that 
um, you know, when we have this next recession, right? People have, unfortunately, I think a very short-term memory and don't often remember, you know, when the last time, you know, we, our economy crapped out in the 2008 and 2009 and yeah. people kept saying, I, I, how is it that the stock market's doing so well? Well, here's how it's doing well, because all these big companies that supposedly were safer to work for dumped right. tons, thousands, millions of employees, which of course made yep. their numbers look better. And the same thing will happen. Absolutely. It happens. Mark my words. You've heard it. You know, you heard it here first. Yeah. <laughs> But it's, the same it, thing will happen in the next recession. People have a short memory here in this country. Uh, you know, we had, we, this is our third cycle in the last 300 years mm -hmm. of, of this exact, you know, pandemic right. followed by recession, depression, yep. followed by global military conflict, followed by recovery. And right. it, it usually takes most of a decade. You had mm -hmm. one in 1820, 1920, 2020. And, right. um, you know, millions of people die. All kinds of resources become scarce yeah. initially and then overabundant because you've mm -hmm. got so many less consumers. Right. And, and so it, and, and then, you know, the, the flip side of that is, is it's like a forest fire. It's a socioeconomic forest fire. Right. And, right. and as we've learned, it to happen. you need forest fires. They have, a, they yes. play a role in the ecosystem. And no, if every once in a while, you don't burn all the unhealthy stuff down, then right. Things can get a little mm -hmm. unhealthy on scale, right? Well, and, you know, and, it, I, I, and it just it makes the crash that much worse. Of course, um, we're we're there, and mm -hmm. you know we need to let some things burn down so that healthier things grow back. Yeah, um, I, yeah I would right. point to the airline industry as a multi-decade example of that. Mm -hmm. Where you know the fact that how many times have we, as the world have to had to go bail out the airline industry now because okay. they. They couldn't run themselves as or the, a or the banks <laughs> or, or, or banks. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Right. Uh, and, yeah. and it's not really fair. You know what? It, I, I heard, um, I think it was John Stewart say recently, you know, when, when the government uh, gives money to people, um, it's socialism, but when they give it to companies, it's, um, stimulus, stimulus. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, how is nobody? And I thought, yeah, John, you're right. That's exactly how people look at it. And I, you know, again, that's for another, that's for another conversation, but it's, it, it mystifies me that, you know, that the nation of sheep don't understand that. I, you know, personally, I, I'm pretty apolitical. I, as I say, if you're, if you're on the red team or the blue team, I question your intelligence. Well, yeah, I, I happen um, to agree with that. Yeah. I, you like me are one of the 40% of Coloradans who are independents. It, it, you know, <laughs> to me, the whole thing feels like professional wrestling. Right. Well, it, it, <laughs> everybody, everybody involved knows how it's going to turn out before it ever started. And they're all clapping each other on the back in the locker room afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, that that's and, actually really great. <laughs> you know, and, and they take turns deciding who's going to win. Right. And, and, and the only thing that's consistent is that their objective is to take advantage of us. Uh -huh. And, and they, and they do it quite effectively on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. And and the and they do a great job of dividing and keeping everybody fighting with each other as opposed to looking mm -hmm. at them going you know what I think you're a thief mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't want you working for me anymore right. um, unfortunately it's you know that's the world we live in these days mm -hmm. so if someone listening to this Kevin um, says yeah this is the kind of company I'd like to work for what should they do just reach out to us. 
Um, okay. I, and how do they do that? Open, my door is open to to my staff and to just about anybody that will you know respectfully ask for some time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're if you're just trying to sell me something, that's probably not going to go very well. You might get a critique, a, a lesson in salesmanship from me, um, <laughs> but you know that that's about it. Yeah. So, how do they um, find you? K Price at AccuCode.com. Okay. Or and, and then your website, which is AccuCode.com. AccuCode.com. A C C U C O D E dot com. Thank you, Carol. Go on. Yes, and. Uh, you know, we, like I said, we, we're a very diversified technology company. Uh, we have no limits on the size of organizations we work with. So from a customer standpoint, we deal with hundreds of small businesses a year. Um, and we like the small businesses. They're, they're often, you know, more engaging. They, they, mm-hmm. It's easier for, to develop that, that deep trust with them faster than it is mm-hmm. with the large organizations. Mm-hmm. But from an employee standpoint, we're, you know, we we just bought a new facility, just moved into a new 50,000 square foot facility here in Inverness. And mm-hmm. uh, we're in the process of scaling up operational mm-hmm. staff here. So we've got a number of positions in operations available. Uh, I'm obviously looking for salespeople. So any of mm-hmm. you that might want to come. Sell that are listening here, right? Please, please reach out to me. Um, okay. And, you know. I, I, I have, I take lunch meetings with aspiring entrepreneurs and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, search fund operators and all kinds mm-hmm. of people often because I learn things from them. Yes. I, you know, it's always, always interesting to sit down and hear somebody else's mm-hmm. perspective. I agree. And I think, you know, the minute, you know, what I hear when you say that is the minute you stop learning is the, you know, really the point of oh, death. It, it, I spend a couple hours every day reading Mm-hmm. dense science papers and, and research documents on Yawn. a wide range, a wide <laughs> range of subjects. And it makes me the, one of the nerdiest people you've ever met, yeah. but I find all kinds of incredibly valuable information in that pursuit all the time that I then get to go apply in the real world. Yeah. And, you know, it, it makes me a smarter person and more self-aware. Got it. Well, Kevin Price, founder and CEO of AccuCode, this has really been an interesting conversation. I appreciate your openness, your honesty, uh, and what you've built here locally to support our local economy here in Denver. Thank you, Carol. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Authentically Successful. If you are a successful founder or CEO who would like to be on this program, please visit verticalelevation.com slash podcast slash apply. If you learned something from this interview and it made a difference, please share it on LinkedIn or Twitter. You can also do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend. And if you know of someone who would be a great guest, tag them on LinkedIn or Twitter to let them know about the show and include the hashtag authentically successful. I love seeing your posts and great suggestions. Lastly, we are regularly putting out new episodes and content. And to make sure you don't miss any episodes, please subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. If you want to know more, go to our website, verticalelevation.com, or follow me on LinkedIn. This is Carol Schultz. Thanks again for listening and see you next time.